Hello. Hi, Lina. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me as well? I can hear you loud and clear. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Andrew. I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, looking forward to um, our discussion. Yes, same. Thank you for accepting the offer to participate in Rose Journal. Uh, and can you introduce yourself before we start? Sure. Um, so hello to everyone who's watching so far. Um, and hello to you, Lena. My name is Sack Lane. Um, I am a recent graduate of economics from City University in London. Um, and I'm also the president of the Students' Union um, here at City University. Um, and I'm also studying a part-time master's at Queen Mary uh, whilst working full-time at the Students' Union. Perfect. Thank you for the introduction. And hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Lina, the director at Rujunal. Uh, today, we are going to have a conversation on uh, home, culture, identity, etc. Uh, second, before we start, uh, if there is any question at any point that makes you uncomfortable or that you don't want to answer, you can just tell me. <laughs> of course, I appreciate that. Uh, so we're going to start to talk about home. And I wanted to ask you, can you define home and tell us what it means to you? That's a really good question, actually. It's something I've always thought about, um, especially once I got a bit older. I think home for me is where I feel safe, secure, like I belong. Um, and, you know, as a member of the diaspora, so to give you a bit of background, my family um, originate from, from Pakistan. Yes. Um, and my great grandfather, he w fought in the British Indian Army and then he established himself in the UK in the 1950s. So we've been here ever since. Um, yeah. But for me, home is still something which I feel like I'm constantly looking for. Um, I think my immediate home would be the physical, you know, bricks and mortar uh, at my house, which which feels like home to me. But generally speaking, it's still something I am looking for, that place where I feel like I belong. And do you think... It ha I mean, have you always felt at home in England or do you think it has changed over time? Um, I think I do generally feel super comfortable in London uh, in particular. Okay. Um, you know, this is where I was born and raised. My dad was born and raised here. My grandfather came as a young kid. It's familiar to me. It's diverse. It's vibrant. It's a cosmopolitan city. Um, having said that, when I do leave London, uh, I do at times feel a bit more conscious about, you know, how much I might stand out. Uh, you know, if I go up towards uh, the north, if I go to areas where there isn't as much a diverse population, it becomes quite, yeah, I become super conscious of, you know, do I belong here, essentially? Yes, it's not that you don't feel comfortable, but it's more, you feel that you're very different. I know what you mean. I understand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and I, also, I also feel like, you know, when I am out in areas where perhaps I am a minority, that I am going to be judged as if I represent every single person from my background or my faith or my culture. When the reality is, you know, I just want to be judged for who I am as an individual. Yes, of course, you don't want people to associate you to a group of people without knowing you, of course. That does make sense. Thank you. And I wanted to ask you as well, do you think that home is a physical place then? Or is it more about the people you're with? I think it can be both. Um, but for me personally, home is, it's more in the heart. I think as much as we try to convince ourselves about, yes, this is where I belong. Yes. It's that feeling, that inner feeling, which really dictates where your home is. Um, having said that, there are physical spaces um, and it's not necessary that an entire area feels like home to you. As I said before, um, so I live in Northwest London. 
my family have lived in Northwest London for like 70 years. Um, my street and my house feel like home. Okay. <laughs> as soon as I leave, the, as yeah. soon as I leave the end of the street, as soon as I leave the home, I feel like I'm suddenly have to be quite defensive. Uh, maybe it's one of the things of living in such a busy, chaotic city where you you feel like you have to be about your wits and be careful of who you're interacting with and who's around you. Uh, but yeah, that kind of summarizes that for me. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to ask you a few questions about culture as well. Uh, can you give us some examples of your culture or how you could basically define your culture? My culture, I'd like to think I'm still in the process of forming a culture for myself. I mean, I mentioned to you before my family, especially my grandmother's generation are from Pakistan. So they, they've brought over elements of, of their upbringing and, and the Pakistani culture or one of the Pakistani cultures. But I would like to think once again that I'm in the, I'm in the process of forming a British Pakistani culture because the, the, the thing for me is there are parts of me which are innately British. Um, I recognize that. I'm proud of that. But there are also parts of me which are in touch, in tune with the lands, the traditions, the faith and the cultures of my forefathers. Um, so I would like to say my culture is being formed as we speak. It's not something which is concrete. It's very much fluid. Um, and, and, and I feel like, you know, a lot of young people are sort of navigating, you know, what values resonate with them, what values align well with the communities here. Um, and once again, going back to the fact that we live in such a diverse country, yeah. such a diverse city, um, it's important not to completely, you know, define yourself with one specific um, way of thinking immediately, I would say. Yes. And I think it's really hard to answer this question because you can't really have one culture nowadays. Uh, I feel, for example, because I'm from Morocco, but I've been living here for five years now. And I just feel like Even though I'm just a student, I'm very attached to the British culture. And as you said, there are several, you know, sort of faces of the British culture. For example, you said the Pakistani British culture. That's how I feel about myself to like the Arab British mm. culture. Uh, so you're right. There is not one answer to this question, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and to be honest, Lena, it's not a new phenomenon as well, because yes. the reality is, uh, you know, the British, even, for example, the French, Uh, they, you know, were in countries like Morocco, like Pakistan yes. centuries ago. And that process, that, that process of um, osmosis began centuries ago. It's not new. You know, the, the influence and the culture and the food and, the, you know, the clothing and yeah. whatever it might be, even, even borrowings of, of, from languages, um, you know, like the word pajama, for example, it yeah. comes from, <laughs> from the lands of my forefathers. So that, that is not a new process either. So it's interesting. It's interesting, and I don't think that uh, some people realize how positive it is. So some people see it in the wrong way, if that makes sense. Um, last time in the other live, we talked about cultural appropriation. Uh, but I was thinking there is appreciation too, you know, sometimes using another word or, you know, trying to imitate, I don't know, I, I'd like to say, you know, Pakistani traditional clothes or Moroccan traditional clothes that are very colorful and different from the Western world. I just feel that sometimes it could be appreciation too. Not always appropriation. I, I don't deny that it exists. But um, yeah. what I'm saying is that sometimes I'm really happy when I see, you know, celebrities or, you know, in general people dressing with Moroccan clothes. I don't know, it just makes me happy, you know? And then I talk to them and they're like, yes, I went to Marrakesh. I went to Esawira. And I don't know, it just makes me happy. 
So yeah, I, I, I share your I, I share your opinion. Um, I mean, I, I agree. There are cases where there is, you know, it's outright cultural appropriation. It's not done in a respectful way. It's not done with yes. the blessings of the of the community or the people who perhaps own that. Um, but having said that, even for myself, it is appreciation in a lot of instances. Um, you know, if 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 I were to see a non-Pakistani go to Pakistan and travel around, I would expect, and uh, you know, it would make me happy to see them wearing the traditional clothing. Exactly. And even coming here to Britain, it's nice to see because the reality is, once again, our ethnic groups. I don't like using the word race too often because all of these things are social constructs. But even even our ethnic groups, they are social constructs. They formed over centuries. They didn't just you know appear out of nowhere. Yes, no, and, of course. That's how and, and they are also the result of you know. Crossing cultures, essentially. Yes, it happened centuries ago, but I just think that people just started realizing it now, if that makes sense. So before, because it was still at the beginning of the formation of all this, it was still, you know, we couldn't have a view on it from the outside, if that makes sense. And we couldn't have this type of conversation that we are having right now. Yeah. Uh, just because in our grandparents' generation, this whole mix-up culture was still in the process, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, definitely, I agree. Um, so, because of that, I wanted to, to ask, um, how do you navigate with cultural differences? Cultural differences with friends, with the country you're living in, or just generally? I think with, with you within yourself. With myself? Okay, so for example, being a British person with Pakistan heritage. Yes. How do I navigate this? Um, I think when I turned 18, Uh, that and I, I truly started. I think when you're younger, when you're a child in the playground, you may get the occasional comment that you might look different or you've got a different faith. But generally, I'd like to think children are a lot more innocent, a lot more accepting. <laughs> uh, I think it's once you get older where you're like, wow, okay, this is really interesting. I'm looking at the news, and you know, people that look like me or dress like me are being demonized. So, in terms of navigating that cultural identity, for me, it's about being open to understanding and to learning um, and accepting that I don't know everything, accepting that there are ways of life which exist outside of London, outside of Britain, outside of this, you know, this, this island essentially. Um, and also appreciating the fact that, you know, people have such different upbringings, but there's no right or wrong way. Um, yeah. And, you know, a lot of the time we'll look at other cultures and I'll also look, you know, at Pakistan, for example, now and I'll think, hey, That's really weird. Why do you guys do that? It's so backwards, for example. These things have been said by me when I was a lot younger. Um, but it's only when I truly tried to understand and I've made multiple trips to see my grandparents and my family where I've actually lived amongst them to try and understand where their values come from. Um, so navigating, it, I think, means making yourself vulnerable. It, make, it means making yourself open to exploring new foods and cultures and ideas. Um, but tr truly, you know, truly making yourself vulnerable um, to actually try and understand some of what's happening. Yes. Um, and do you think, because we talked about home earlier, do you feel or do you think that your home is separate from your culture? I wouldn't say so, no. Um, I mean, are you talking about the physical home or yes, in terms of sorry, Britain? Yes, the physical home, yes. Okay, so Britain in particular. <laughs> yes. I wouldn't say so. Uh, Britain has, once again, if we're looking at colonial legacies, Britain has been in the subcontinent, you know, in the lands of my forefathers for 400 years. Um, I, I mean, I can sit here and discuss the, the, the atrocities, etc. as well, but yes. I'm also, I'm speaking specifically here about the cultural connection. Um, yeah. The reality is that when Britain actually came to South Asia, 
once again, those ideas, people, the, the free movement of people, trade, etc., spices, whatever it might be, started to go back and forth. And so, like, my community essentially, in my mind, in my eyes, was established 400 years ago. It wasn't established 60 years ago, which or 70 years ago, which was when my grandparents came. So for me, I don't see a separation between the two. Um, I see myself as a bit of a nomad. I don't really believe personally in physical borders, but that's another conversation. Um, I see human beings. I think the, re the whole reason we're all here and that our fantastic cultures exist is because throughout, you know, uh, throughout the history of this world, humans have been free to move around, to mix not just cultures, but faiths, uh, to mix in terms of ethnicities, um, and it's only now with the closing up of borders that we're starting to define people strictly according to which piece of land they are then packaged into. Um, and I'm sure you can speak for Morocco as well. I can speak for Pakistan where yes, there are so many, so many different ethnic groups, but suddenly they've been grouped into one country under one nationality. So I don't believe in that. And that's why I still believe in the fact that the British community is still in the process of um, being formed, essentially. Yes, have you have you heard about uh, the book uh, Prisoners of Geography? It's I have no. summarized the book without reading it. Uh, ah, amazing! <laughs> it's an explanation of how uh, borders, as we perfectly said, are just physics. But at the end of the day, they're not really borders. Uh, it's, it's a really nice book, but it reminded me of that. <laughs> so you have made. I, I I've written it down. To say that you read it. So. Um, I've written it down. Yeah. Yes, that's crazy. Um, but yes, I agree with you. There are many, many ethnicities within, I will say, country. Um, and I think you're right in the sense that, it, not just in Britain, actually, I'd like to say even in Canada, America, probably, uh, people are still in the process of accepting that, which I'm not saying it's wrong, but uh, yeah. has to change. <laughs> and it will change, obviously, because the new generation yeah. is very different. Uh, but yes, thank you for your answer. Uh, one, one last question about culture before we move on uh, on talking about identity. Uh, is there any least favorite or favorite uh, element about your culture? Culture is actually with S. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think the favorite thing about my culture is the openness. Um, you know, we have certain codes and principles and moral values which we abide by. And one of them is the idea of guests so in my culture how it used to be i should say <laughs> uh, i think things have changed ever so slightly because of globalization and other cultural influences but um you know in essence with my culture if you approach a stranger and you tell them you need help you need a bed to stay in you need food to eat there is this unwritten code there's an unwritten book which says you have to keep these guests with you for at least three days no questions asked and this is something which my father has experienced. It's something I've experienced when I've traveled to Pakistan. I've literally gone up to a stranger's home. Uh, you know, it was snowing. I was freezing. Uh, I was in a mountain area and just asking for a cup of tea. And according to the cultural principles, they would invite me in and, 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 and you know, treat me as an honored guest, essentially. Yes. So that's one aspect I enjoy, not just of, of my culture or the cultures being formed, uh, but of other cultures generally. It's the treatment towards um, complete strangers. Yes, it's very, we are very welcoming, I think, in, well, in general, in Morocco, Pakistan, Mediterranean countries and South Asian countries, um, Latin America as well. I just feel that people are very warm, welcoming. They want you to feel comfortable, even though you're just a tourist, for example. 
Um, yeah, and and to, and to be honest, I've I've had that hair as well. To be honest, I've I've in parts of of the UK, if I've just been you know traveling, or I've gone on a hike, some sometimes you know, especially from the local people, uh, the reception I've received has been it's been phenomenal, and they've been so kind and been willing to go the extra mile to help me out if I'm lost or if I need water or anything. And um, I don't think it's exclusive to other countries. I just think it, it, the approach varies in different places. Yes, it's true, and I feel that um, well, not in London actually, but I used to live in the north, and I just feel that in the north, in general, people are quite uh, closed. You know, not not all of them, but most of them were mm -hmm. quite close-minded. Um, they didn't know a lot about the world and what's around them, but I don't want to find an excuse for them if that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that nowadays you can have an excuse to not know about certain things. So I just think that. Yes, you're right. It's it's quite common in many places in England, but um, not as common as where we're from, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and I, I, unfortunately, I think the media have to have a big part to. I think if we lived uh, if we lived in a world where the media were unbiased, where they were genuine and yes. transparent, there wouldn't be this um, there wouldn't be all this sensationalism of which course. leads to xenophobia and racism and people yes. just feeling scared of others if that makes sense um so i do think there's a bit the media plays a big part in that unfortunately yes media and uh, fake stories and things like that yes definitely a hundred percent um so we'll talk about a bit about identity and self um obviously we talked earlier about you know teenage times and you talked about um how you were, you are still actually trying to find your culture and mm -hmm. i wanted to ask you do you think you are um, in a certain way experiencing difficulties to find yourself? 100%. Um, you know, often when I've been, I've taken trips to Pakistan to see my grandfather, um, you know, even though I, when, I go, when I go to visit him, I dress in traditional Pakistani clothing and I speak, I can speak multiple languages, I can speak three of the native tongues of Pakistan. Um, people can still tell because there is a slight accent when I speak that I am not from, okay. <laughs> I am not native to that region. Um, so when I go there, I feel like they almost reject me at times, not always, but at times. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, when I'm in Britain, I also, I, you know, there is this feeling of being an other, of, of not feeling like you are native or that you belong here. Yes. Um, I think with Brexit, um, with the rise of the far right and with so there's been some really dangerous rhetoric um, you know increasing in recent years yes. um, which hasn't made it any easier but I think for myself I had an honest conversation with my granddad um, and he said to me look he, he, his dad and his forefather sacrificed so much so we could have what they didn't have whether it be an education a safe community whatever and he said I need to remove the temporary mindset that I am not from Britain um, I need to accept the fact that I am British and only once I've done that and I'm secure with myself can I start to understand some of the dynamics which affect the community. So, yeah, I think that, that's why I always say I'm still in the process of finding my culture because with the new generation, and I say new generation in particular, it's so diverse, there's so much more open-mindedness and, you know, even in my family, there's so many people married into different cultures that the culture that really resonates with me is the... Once again, it's like the British culture, but the in its diverse sense, if that makes sense. Yes, no, it does. It does make sense. Yeah. And as you said at the beginning, you 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 literally defined that uh, with the Pakistani British culture too. Yeah. And it does make sense. Yes. Um, but what you said is really interesting. I think it's really nice to see that people started marrying with other cultures because 
you know, like in the 30s and the 40s, it wasn't really a thing. And um, yeah. my great grandma married with a Spanish guy and it wasn't really a thing. And, you know, things yeah. like this. And it was not really accepted. And, you know, just things that are completely old school to think about now. Uh, but at that time, it was really, really you know, normal and it was happening all the time. And with colonization as well, some Moroccan people were marrying with French and it wasn't really accepted, you know, and now it's totally normal. So it's quite nice to see. Yeah, it today. I like yeah it. No, definitely. And, and I think it's part of life. Uh, I, I think for me, it's, you know, I, I don't think we should define people by what borders they were born into. Once again, we don't get to choose our culture, um, you know, often even our faith, what we're born into, I should say. Um, and so judging a person or refusing them attention or love um, based off of those characteristics alone is unfair in, in, in so many different ways. So I completely agree with you. It's unfair because it doesn't make them a good or a bad person. It's just, it, it, it has no link, I think, yeah. with how they are, if that makes sense. Uh, and I want people to see me as me, and as you said, not as a certain group of people they are associating us to. Um, yeah, and, and yeah. what I find quite interesting is, pre I think a few decades ago, it was, you know, it was government <laughs> policy to prevent people of different ethnicities from marrying, you know, whether it be a, a brown person and, and a white person or, you know, even inter intercultural marriages. But since those policies have been lifted, I think we've been heading in the right direction. So now it's more of a, it's amongst the communities and it's amongst opening up as individuals, really. It is. And uh, do you think that culture ha i mean culture is informing your identity somehow maybe not directly definitely um i wouldn't say it defines me entirely um because i'm still in the process of sort of finding myself quote unquote um but it, it definitely it, it it's definitely something i cling on to it gives me a sense of belonging somewhere to something I think naturally, you know, you know, the thing is, Lena, whenever you meet someone, they'll always say to you, oh, like, you know, where are you from? Or, you know, <laughs> if I tell them I'm from London, well, where are you really from? So because it's a constant reminder to me, even, you know, when I look in the mirror or look at my reflection on the tube and, you know, someone else is sitting to me from a completely different nation, it is a constant reminder that, you know, I am different. Um, we are all different. Um, so because of that, I choose to take control um, and I choose to accept and be unapologetic about my culture and even my faith. I think, you know, we should never apologize for where our forefathers are from or what their well, cultural practices are, um, because you'll find it in a lot of young people when they are trying to fit in. It's a defense mechanism, especially if you're being bullied or targeted or feel like you may be bullied or targeted to try and, you know, completely abandon your way of thinking for the way others think. But yeah, for me, I basically try to own it. And what would at times have been perceived as a weakness when I was younger, I now see it as a strength to be different. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, uh, what other questions do you think people should use when, when they meet? So, for example, imagine if, if I meet you and I ask you, where are you from? Because I, I talked about it in another life. And we, we concluded after 20 minutes on this question that the best way to ask is, where are you from? Then the person answers, for example, London, and they say, what's your heritage? You know? Yeah, definitely, definitely, Lena. I think, you know, I'll be honest, when someone asks me where I'm from, especially now, I will say London, because I am from yeah, London, yeah, you know, born, born and raised, uh, my parents, you know, my family were born and raised here, my parents' generation was born and raised here. 
Having said that, I'm not ashamed of my ethnicity or my cultural yeah. background. So I think for me, it's more about ethnicity because the reality is, you know, when, if I say, for example, I am, you know, my family are from Pakistan, yeah. that is still so, it's, it's so vague because even in Pakistan, there are so many different regions, right. cultures, languages, ethnicities, even religions, you know, a lot of yes, people of have course. this misconception that every single Pakistani is a Muslim. Which isn't the case. There are Christians, Hindus, Buddhists. And physically, uh, there are still... people from Kashmir and people from other places don't look the same at all. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's completely different. So for me, it's, you know, if someone is genuinely curious and it's not being done in a malicious oh, way, yes. then they can ask, you know, what is your ethnicity? What's your, you know, ethnic heritage almost? Um, but yeah. I am quite specific with it. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's actually interesting that you say it like this because... I feel like we are so lucky to be from places that are so diverse. Um, and most of the time, they, they think that we all look the same. Uh, you know, like Arabs are all the same, South Asians are all the same. But actually, I don't know if you saw a few weeks ago, there was the, like this trend of uh, when someone asked me where I'm from and then so many emojis of different colors and different hair colors. And I told my friends, this is exactly how Morocco is. You can't know if someone is from Morocco just because they have curly hair. So <laughs> I, I, complete, I completely agree. And it, it comes back to this conversation of, you know, what, what is a person from a certain you know, background supposed yes. to look like? Uh, and the, the reality is um, that diversity is, is evident. So, for example, a lot of people assume that people from my background have to look a specific way with a specific skin tone, specific yes. eye color. Specific and, and to be honest, it, it's part of a colonial legacy because when the British first arrived in the lands that my forefathers are from, uh, which is toward the north um, in Pakistan, they, they came across people with blonde hair and blue eyes and fair skin. And for them, it was like, well, they must be the descendants of the Greeks or something. But the reality was they weren't. They were native indigenous to that region. Um, but it was just this old way of thinking. It's, it's a colonial way of thinking that made people think that, yes, if you are from South Asia, you must be this color and you must look this yeah. specific way. Um, so I completely agree with you, that, that diversity is evident. There is a region in Morocco in which people look um, very Asian. And actually scientists have come to Morocco to you know, make research on that because they mm. were thinking, how come do they look so different? And actually the reason for that is exactly what you said, they are from the land, but environmental factors have changed that. So, for example, they have, you know, different skin tones and stuff, and it's because of the sun, what they eat, and just, you know, basically environment. And it doesn't mean that they are not from Morocco. Uh, so that's 100%. actually really interesting. And, and it is, and, and a lot of people can access DNA tests now as well. So me and my brother have done DNA tests, and it's always interesting to see how these tests try to match you up with people from across the world. But you can get some really interesting <laughs> results from it. I still want to do it, but let's see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we are going to move on and talk about diaspora. Um, how would you define diaspora? And do you think that uh, diaspora has affected you? Maybe it will affect you. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, so for me, diaspora is a community outside of its... You know, I'm, I'm going to caveat what I'm going to define this as, but for me, diaspora is a community outside of its <laughs> native homeland. But for me, that it's a temporal discussion. It's limited to time because yes. there comes a point after a few years or decades where that diaspora is no longer a diaspora. It's now a community 
within the nation that their forefathers moved to. So once again, if I, if I look at so many of the, the diverse communities in Britain, I think it is unfair to label them as diasporas, um, especially if they don't identify as a member of a diaspora. For them, they may just see themselves as British, which is completely fine. Um, but for me, it's, it's yeah. What, what was the second part of the question? Cause that's sorry, what I think the second part was, uh, do you think it has ever affected, affected you, sorry? Or do you think it will yeah. affect you maybe in the future? I think it's affected me massively. So my father and even me, uh, we've sent remittances. So we've sent, we sent money back to my, when my great grandfather was alive. You know, we, we help family members um, because obviously we're, we're so much more fortunate here that we have yes. the, 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 the access to so many different things. So that's, uh, remittances has played a big part in keeping us in tune with what's happening in our you know, motherland. Um, obviously subsequent visits have kept me in touch. But what I always say to my mum is, mum, in a hundred years time, You know, if, if I'm blessed with, uh, you know, children and a family and we have descendants in a hundred years time, they're going to, you know, they're going to look back to the land where their forefathers come from and they won't know anyone. You know, our villages will be empty or our descendants yeah. will be so distantly related that they can't, ex they can't exactly say they belong to that country anymore. So I think diaspora has shaped my experience. It's ever evolving. And To be honest, it brings that whole discussion of, you know, when you have children and you, if you can speak the tongue that you're, the language of your forefathers, how do you then pass that on? Do you pass it on? Do you have to pass it on? Because uh, once again, languages are also something which was formed over centuries and millennia. Um, and I don't, I don't see anything wrong um, with, you know, for example, a young person being only able to speak English. I think it's a result of their environment. Um, and I say this as someone who can speak multiple languages, but yes, that's my sort of perspective yeah yes um i speak many languages uh, almost five <laughs> and uh it's it's really hard i'm going to be honest with you um i think you're going to understand what i say um so because you know how we mentioned earlier that morocco was colonized by france um i was in a french speaking school and i used to speak in french with my parents and my grandparents even and you know when i grew up i realized Oh, I don't really speak Arabic that well, but then it's real because it's my mother tongue. And I started reading many books, many articles about how many people from Arab countries that were colonized felt that they were speaking their colonized uh, language more than their mother tongue language. It's really sad and mm -hmm. it's, it's unfortunately the truth. But when you grow up, I think that you realize how important it is to speak your mother tongue. Um, even though I really agree with you that you shouldn't force any children to learn any language. Um, but I think it connects you to your culture somehow to learn the language, you know, to you know, learn certain words that basically I can't even translate them, even, not even in French. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's the same I, for yeah. and other languages, but... I, yeah. I completely agree with you. I think for me, it's... it's and and I, 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 for example, would want to make I think it's important to make efforts, massive efforts, to try yeah. and teach younger generations the language. I think it's where they're unable to, or some circumstances, it's okay. important to, you know, not make them feel alienated. But I completely agree with you. And I think that, you know, there are certain languages which are so poetic and they can't, you're right, the words can't even be translated yeah. to English. And, you know, the reality is, Lena, there's, there's a wealth of scholarly knowledge, of, um, you know, poetry, literature, Um, historical volumes which we cannot access in English and the reality no. is if we want to continue accessing these things you have to continue the tradition of 
relaying things orally, but also passing on native tongues from, you know, from, from your, your background, essentially. I agree completely. They have tried, I think, uh, a few years ago to translate some poem from Rumi, and it was literally impossible. So they have just asked, you know, people that were speaking really, really, really old languages to do it. But it's really hard because I have some friends actually from uh, Malaysia, like a zone in Malaysia, I think it's called Borneo, um, that has been colonized by Portuguese. I, I'm, I don't want to say something wrong. Uh, it's it's not called Portuguese, the, the language they speak. It's a really old Portuguese. And Portu Portuguese people went there and they can't even understand it. So Really? That's really interesting. It's, it's really interesting because they have kept that language. It's like if they kept Latin language in Italy, for example. Yeah. So they kept that language from centuries ago. And now even Portuguese people, when they go there, they can't even understand it. So that's mm. that's actually crazy. That is really interesting, but it shows you how language is ever-evolving. Um, and, and I spoke about, you know, like words being borrowed. I think, you know, not, not only did colonizing nations, you know, force native populations to speak their tongue and adopt the lingua franca that they wanted, um, but at the same time, the, the indigenous people also gave the, you know, a lot of the European nations words. And, you know, to come back no, to what true. I said before, like, like the word pajamas, the word bungalow, for example, comes from the word Bangla. So from Bangladesh, modern day Bangladesh, the Bangla. So Bangla. that's really interesting. Yeah. Even the word and, and, merci. In Persian, yeah, exactly. like they say merci to say thank you. But really? obviously in Iran, they don't speak French. But they say merci, they say vest as well for jacket, which are two French yeah. words. So I was really surprised, actually. Um, it's, it's really interesting. And, and to be honest, Lena, a lot, of, a lot of languages are disappearing. And a lot of new languages... Yeah. You could almost say new languages are being formed, um, depending on which way you look at it, but yeah. That's true. Um, yes, but at the same time, I feel that the languages that are disappearing are, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that's no language. All languages are important, but I just feel like they are hmm. selection kind of. So for example, Latin language is disappearing, but at the same time, we still need it to translate certain things. And for example, people, people who go into medicine really need to learn Latin because so many words are based on that. So I'm wondering, is it going to ever disappear? Or is it going to be a privilege to actually know this type of languages, you know? Obviously, that's another conversation, but it's... Yeah, well, well I, I, think, I think Latin is one example, especially from a scholarly perspective, from yes. an academic perspective. But I'm thinking specifically, let's think of the UK, for example. You've got the Welsh language. Um, there's been a crisis in Wales for decades now because... Uh, you know, based on government policies, the, you know, Welsh youth were not being actively encouraged and taught to speak their native tongue. They were being taught English. Um, in recent years, especially in universities, for example, there is a massive push now for representation of the Welsh language in universities, for example, like Cardiff University. Um, and the reality is when you establish a foreign language as the lingua franca, so if you look at Wales, the lingua franca, the national tongue, you know, used in official documentation, et cetera, et cetera, is, yes. is, is more type, more often than not, is English. Um, if, you, if you go to Ireland, for example, or even to Scotland, Gaelic has completely disappeared. Um, so it's unfortunate that those languages are disappearing. I think it does become a privilege. Um, but I think now they are trying to introduce policies to try and preserve, because it now comes under preservation, unfortunately. It does. Um... Thank you. I just wanted to ask you a few more things. Um, mm -hmm. 
can you, I mean, do you think that you have a third culture? And if yes, can you give examples of it? Third culture, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's really interesting. I think my third culture is London. Uh, okay. I think the first, I think the first two cultures are, you know, Britain, Pakistan, but you know, London in itself has its own subculture, and you see it. You see it in elections. You know, when there's political elections, yeah. London is doing one thing. Every London, you know, different cities are doing different things. Um, you know, if I meet someone even in a foreign country, I can and even I can tell straight away if they're from London or not. Whether it be because of dialect, the way they the way they walk and talk, the way they move around. I feel like London is my culture and, you know, when I land back in this country from coming back from abroad, I only feel like, okay, I'm back home when I enter London. Um, I could be at like Gatwick and I'll just be like, oh, this isn't really, this isn't real like <laughs> home just yet. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. So L London is my subculture, my third culture, I should say. Um, and how do you think that your British culture has merged or is merging? Uh, I think it's merging uh, an awful amount um, in a good way in that we're becoming more accepting of, you know, this exchange of knowledge, of values, of languages. Um, and, and even, I'll be honest, like, you know, I, I feel super comfortable wearing cultural clothing um, out in public. You know, when my dad was younger, growing up in this country, it was a different time. My grandmother used to fear going out in public because she couldn't speak English. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of, especially on the political scene, you had the National Front who were quite, there was a lot of racism and xenophobia. Not to say that it's gone away, but um, I think in terms of how it's happening now, um, it's increasing. And, you know, people marrying into different cultures, um, the way our curriculums are being adjusted. So if you look at schools and universities, curriculums are being diversified. We're being taught that actually knowledge exists outside of the European context. Uh, it acknowledges that there are produces a scholarly knowledge from every part of the world and that the reality of, you know, even London being the, the, the financial capital of, you know, the UK or Europe and, and an economic powerhouse for the world is not because of the UK's work individually. It's because of the contributions of the entire globe, essentially. So does that kind of make sense? It does. Yes, 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 it does. Yes. Thank you. Um, and one last question. Um, So that's a bit of a hard question, but what would you tell yourself, your 18 years old self, basically, about all this, about cultural heritage and not knowing yourself at that age, I guess? I would say, firstly, I would say don't apologize for your perceived differences. Don't feel like you have to hide certain parts of your culture. You know, if your mom gives you food and she made the, and, and the food is like cultural food, don't feel ashamed of you know, consuming it in front of people who may not understand what it is or who might think it, you know, looks weird or whatever. Uh, the other thing I would say is be kind to yourself. Um, I think often we can, you know, beat ourselves up and think, you know, why, why did my parents, you know, make me wear cultural clothing? Why did my yeah. parents not allow me to engage in specific parts of British culture, for example, because yes. may, maybe it didn't align with the values at the time? Um, And the final thing I would say is be open-minded and willing to learn um, and have, have some patience because I think I'm often in a rush to try and learn everything at once and to do everything at once. You know, part of me still wants to travel the world in a year and do everything, but there is a process. It takes time and I have so much left, so many people to meet and so many experiences to have before I can truly understand what home means to me um, and where I feel like I belong. So 
those are the three pieces of advice and just to constantly keep seeking knowledge because the minute you sit down and say, okay, I'm fine, I know enough, I think that's when the decay sets in and you start to lose yourself. That's true. And then you become basically mentally lazy and then you don't learn about other cultures, etc. Exactly. Thank you. That's really good advice. Is it? I'm going to take it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, but yes, thank you for this conversation. Uh, it was really interesting. I'm really, really happy. And honestly, it was a honor to have you on uh, Roots Journal. And I hope that we can work again together in the future. Definitely. Thank you so much, Lina, for having me. Once again, this was such an interesting conversation. It's something I'm super passionate about, but I'm still learning even, you know, about myself and my culture and, and, and you know, praying for the best um, because I do still think that Britain is uh, and places like London are exactly what we need to see uh, across the globe. Diverse, representative, um, welcoming um, to an extent. Uh, cities and, and, and parts of the world. So thank you very much once again, Lina. And, no, yeah, I'd love you. to stay in touch. Thank you so much. Yes, of course. Thank you. Goodbye. Take, Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.